Welcome to Courageous Conversations with your host, Richard Dolan, a world-renowned speaker, mentor, and coach to many celebrity icons and global thought leaders. Listen as they share their stories and insights about what it takes to lead a courageous life, from overcoming adversity to living with purpose and meaning. Each guest brings a unique perspective that will leave you feeling empowered and motivated to make positive changes in your own life starting today. Ladies and gentlemen, let's put our hands together for the one and only Mr. Larry King. Larry, tell me, my friend, how have you been? Uh, fair. I've had a rough year. I had a stroke last year. Uh, my left foot is still immobile, so I need a walker to walk. Um, I lost my daughter and my son. Uh, 21 months of 21 days apart uh, last month. It's been a rough go. I know that, um, you know, aside from the fact that uh, Andy and, and, and Kaya left us far too early, I mean, if anyone looks at your 86 years on this planet, you've been a huge heart, uh, a father uh, to many. In fact, for those who don't know, he's got, uh, you know, incredible children, incredible grandchildren. Yes, even great grandchildren, but more on that a little bit later on. But back to the fact, you know, Larry, I've gotten to know you very well over the past few months, uh, and I'm just blown away at your sense of human resilience, like just how you keep coming back and doing it. But it hasn't been that easy, has it? No, uh, events uh, turned, but hey, I'm 86 and a half years old. I'm playing with house money. My father died when he was uh, 46. By no right should I be here. I, last year I had a, I don't remember it, but I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, intensive care. Uh, they thought I would die. Uh, one doctor, uh, a heart specialist said, what I have is indomitable spirit. Now, I don't know where that comes from, but I guess I do have it. I, I like to get up in the morning and I like to go to work and I like to do things and I keep my mind full. I read my newspapers. I stay abreast of the, I think I, I try to be in mentally active. I can't be as physically active as I like to be, but I try, I try to keep up with the way the world is flowing. And you're doing just fine. I mean, for those who don't know, you know, Larry, you've between 1985 and 2010, you were known as Larry King Live, aired on CNN. And then from 2012 to 2020, uh, you had Larry King Now. And I mean, for anyone that wants to check out Hulu on the YouTube channel that's subscribed by millions of people, likely your fans and followers and faithful, I mean, you really, truly continue championing the cause for connecting with people every single day. Um, I do politicking twice a week. I, as I say, I, 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 don't know what I'd do if I weren't in the mix. Well, and that's what I was getting to, Larry. I mean, you know, even in talking to Chance and your boys, I mean, you're even looking at a new show called The Millionth Question. I mean, at 86 and a half years old, which you just eloquently pointed out, I mean, some people might say, hey, why don't you relax? Get onto a beach chair. Why don't you just slow down and check out? And it's like, it's, it's almost like you've, you do have an indomitable hunger and thirst for just more. Wouldn't you agree? I asked uh, Milton Berle once, do you plan to retire? And he said, retire to what? I don't know what I would retire to. I don't golf. I don't like to sit around in the swimming pool. I like to be, a, I like to be in the hunt. So I know I'm not, not going anywhere until they, this new thing that I'm doing, the millionth question is my new, what, what kind of, what do we call it? Podcast. Okay, I've done everything else in the world. I've done radio, television, internet, upnet, downnet, overnet. 
and now I'm doing a podcast, which I figured out what podcast is. It's sending me back 53 years. Podcast is radio. Absolutely. Podcast is the future. And I mean, everyone just can't wait to hear more of you. And I mean, you have done it all. I mean, you've done everything from uh, calling uh, a dolphin game to uh, even hitting JFK in a car accident back in 1958. I mean, you've been there, you've done that, and the list can go on, but I've only got you for a short period of time. So, so tell me, no, knowing that when your pops first passed in his 40s, which was both tragic and too soon, I mean, gosh, just too darn soon, um, it shifted a lot of you. So when do you feel like you knew that you got bit by the bug to be in broadcast? Well, you know, I always wanted to be on radio. When I was a kid, I was six years old, I'd imitate radio announcers. I didn't go to college. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to, didn't go. Worked at a bunch of our jobs, but always, always had in the back of my mind radio. And then one day I'm walking down the street in New York and a friend says, you know who that is over there? That's James Sermons. He's head of announcers at CBS. So I went over, introduced myself and I said, uh, Mr. Sermons, I'd like to get into radio. I'm 22 years old. I got, I'm just working our jobs. What he suggested, he said, Go down to Miami. He said, it's a, it's a good town. It has no unions. Uh, so, and you got a lot of older people and younger people and older people that were getting ready to leave and those in Brooklyn, there might be a job opening. I went down, knocked on doors, finally got heard by one station, got heard. And 63 years ago, 63 years ago, made my debut May 1st, 1957. I was a disc jockey. But I, I didn't know I'd be an interviewer. I thought I'd be a broadcast. I thought I'd be a sports guy. But I've loved it ever since. I have never had a day where I don't love going on. I love the light above the camera. I love everything. There's not a bad thing about it. There are some people in it I could do without. There's not a bad thing. Everybody in broadcasting loves it. Another thing I like about it is whether you're on the air around the world, like I've been for all these years, or you're a morning announcing farm prices in Mississippi, that guy in Mississippi announcing farm prices is as happy about his job as I am about going around the world. It beats, it beats work. But you know, Larry, just for people to know, because I, again, I, I'm cheating a little bit. I've gotten to know you a little bit. And what I know is that you're one of the most feverish students I've ever come to learn. It's, it's, been, it's been known that you don't get prepared before interviews in all, I mean, the thousands of interviews, because you genuinely wanted to locate yourself as a student of your interviewee. Yeah? If, if, if you've written a book, if I read the book, I'm ahead of the audience. So I always look at myself as someone, tell me about the book. Let me learn. I'm there to learn. I'm, I'm a communicator. I'm an infotainer. That is, I provide information, but I do it in an entertaining manner. I mean, we could take the encyclopedia and just read it. So I provide information through entertainment, asking good questions, listening to the answer, respecting my guests. I, there's no other way to, to put it except I think the audience senses that I love what I do. Absolutely. And, you know, um, in interviewing a number of people, just having conversations about, you know, why I asked you to be on this show, why Google is here, observing uh, who you are and your legacy in the making, uh, in what you do and what your boys are up to. One of the things that came up was how you brought 
curiosity back to conversation. A lot of people out there are just having conversations. They want to hear themselves speaking, but you taught the world how to lean in, learn, and listen. Wouldn't you agree, Larry? Who, what, where, when, why? My opinions don't count. The guest counts, and it's my job to bring that guest out and let the audience decide. I'll ask the best questions. I'll follow up the best way. But you make your decision. If you like this guy, you want to vote for this guy. When you buy his book, when you watch his movie, my job is to draw that out. Now, I don't know where my voice is today, but I woke up with this grumpy sound. This is not the way I normally sound. (laughs) I don't normally sound like this, so I'm just having a little, today I'm having a little throat problem. I'm a little suspect because I know it's Friday in LA and I, I know how you guys roll in the King family, so I could suggest that may be the signs of a good hangover. Just saying, I'm putting it out there. I don't want to call you out on it, but but all kidding aside, I know given all of what you've been doing and, and all that you learned, has there ever been a guest or two that stuck out for you as one of or one of many of the most fascinating people that you've ever really sat across from, Larry? Oh, too many. Uh, Nelson Mandela, Frank Sinatra, Brando, Martin Luther King, every president, no president is boring. Um, I've been so fortunate, Rich, that these people can enter, have entered into my life. Now that I started at age 22, been doing it so long, I can't pick out one or two. It's impossible. I can't pick out one or two. And, and, and do you find that there's any that actually inspired you, that altered a little bit of who Larry King is? Changed, changed you know, your DNA a little bit? <clears throat> a little bit of everything stays with everything. A little bit of, I think a little bit of everyone I've ever interviewed has entered me in certain phases and they click into my memory. I can memory, I can remember things that I never thought I would think of. Uh, a month or so ago, I was interviewing Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. And as soon as the middle of the interview, it reminded me of an interview I did with Vice President Hubert Humphrey a hundred years ago, but I brought up to the guest, when I interviewed Humphrey, he said to me, he thinks the mortgages are out of whack. In other words, listen to this, this is 40 years ago. Today, a young couple about to have a house and a child, you put a mortgage on them that flattens them. Then when they get well enough to be, to be equitable and fine, you reduce the mortgage. That's insane. So why don't we reverse the mortgage? Why don't we start low and then increase it as their income is? Now, I remembered all that from 40 years ago to ask it of this guy. And where that works, Richard, I can't explain. How did that enter my brain? What's centered in there? What what is all all these voices coming at me? You might say I'm crazy. I think you've always been a student, though, Larry. I mean, in getting to know you through your boys and our time that we've spent, I mean, you you didn't finish school. You lost interest at a very young age, but you have become then a lifelong learner. And yeah. it just so happens that through broadcast, that was your school of hard knocks. That's where you learn who you've become. Fact, I don't know, frankly, what would have happened to me if I didn't have broadcasting. I, I had no particular skills. Uh, no college, no background, no college background. I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't have 
a broadcast career. Uh, really, that's the truth. Did you ever doubt yourself while being the broadcaster you came to be? Ever what? Doubt yourself. No. No, because what I had, Richard, was uh, complete confidence as a broadcaster. I control that. Like you're controlling this right now. You may not even think in those terms. You're, you're controlling what you want to add. Say goodbye, say hello, whatever. I was always in control. So I found something in my life that I could control. Now, most people would love that. To love to be able to control their lives. I guess most people don't. I have been able to control my life. I control the questions I ask. I can ask the guests to stay. I can ask the guests to leave. That's a big plus. So I, I never lost confidence, ever. Did you ever lose your cool? Anyone ever, as you interviewed them, said things, behaved in a way yeah. that this was disrespectful for you or wasn't in alignment with your values? When George Wallace was governor of Alabama, later I got to like him and he changed. I don't know if he changed or I changed. But, he, but when he came on and gave me one of those, uh, or on television in Miami, he said, I don't notice any blacks here working at the station. Uh, he said that to me. And I said, well, they own the station. They're all out to lunch. I just didn't know how to countermand him. But he, I got visibly angry with him. And yet, by the way, that's not good. It's not good to get visibly angry because you lose, aha, control. But I know I haven't had much of that in my I've had laughs with people. I've had psychics that I've had run-ins with. I had a psychic walk off the air with me once. I had a psychic on. It's in Miami. And she's reading the mind of Jacqueline Kennedy, who's in Massachusetts. So I said, wait a minute. How do you go through all those minds to get to Massachusetts to read her mind? And she struggled. I asked the question, how do psychics get through those minds? Fascinates me. But all of life fascinates me, Richard. I'm fascinated by life. Well, what the hell's going to happen next? Jesus Christ, what a way to live. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? That's why I don't want to die. Who's going to win the World Series? Who's going to win the election? Well, I know who you want to have win the World Series, and that's the Dodgers, who you've Correct. been a lifelong fan of. So we all know that's where you stand. But, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, for you, looking at all of those things, was there any guess that scared you? Like you felt like you may have been in danger given that interview in its direction? I forget his name. It was a, a convict was about to be sent from New York's Rikers prison to Los Angeles for murder. And he sat down, he was a convict, so we were sitting there, you know, the guards were outside the door. But this guy, <laughs> he looked at me <clears throat> and I said to him, if there were no guards here, would you kill me? And he goes like this. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. I said, oh boy. Yeah, I was scared. You know, I, by the way, have you gone in to do interviews in prison? I have not. It's, oh, yeah, you should because there's something about going into a prison. I'll tell you the thing is, I want an Emmy for going into a prison, interviewing the convict. When you walk into a prison, whether you're a convict or a guest, two things happen. 
You enter, you give up your personal things, and then <clears throat> locks go behind there. So as you walk from one area of the prison to another, you hear click, click. I asked the guy, what is that? He said, it's locked. So does that mean we have to be here to hit the button? Now, what if you disappear? What if you die? I'm trapped. <laughs> that feel that I can still hear that sound of a prism gate or door or whatever it is when it goes behind you. Well, I don't know what's going to be more mortifying for people today, Larry, is actually hearing a lock behind me or having to literally viscerally be removed from my phone. I, I, I don't know what's more terrifying for me personally. I know Chance can understand what I mean by that. But, um, but that sounds scary. That does sound scary. Now, I mean, for you right now, when you look back, when you get interviewed, I'm sure that people ask you all kinds of questions about what's happened and what's going on. But, but in terms of all those who are here, and I mean, you've got an incredible world of fans here. You, you, you have people here from Germany, Spain, Portugal. Uh, you have the United Arab Emirates in here. Uh, we've got people all across Canada, all throughout the States, all here checking in to ask, hey, I want to hear more from, 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 from Larry. And so one of the things that people would be curious about is that if they could be armed with the one question they should always ask people in their lives, Larry, given you're the guy who's the master of asking questions, what question do you think everyone should always be armed with when meeting new people? Good question. And the answer is simple. The question is why? Why fits almost every question you could answer. I did this, why? I did that, why? Any president, president, teacher, scholar, thief, actor, why? Why'd you take, you're an actor, why'd you take this role? What about it fast? In other words, I ask short questions, maybe a sentence, never two sentences, maybe two sentences. But the one key question is why, because you know what? You can't answer why with one word. Mm. It forces you to formulate your thinking, and it's impossible to answer why with one word. Well, listen, that's coming from a man that's got five kids, nine grandchildren, four great grandkids, and that's what we know of, Larry, because I know how you roll, buddy. I know how you roll. Um, but all kidding aside, do you find being a great question asker makes you a great granddaddy, great dad, great great grandfather? It made me good in that I always ask them questions. What did you do at school today? How did that go away? I don't know. I don't, first of all, I don't know if I'm great at that. I'm, I'm not that good a grandfather. I haven't been that good a grandfather. Uh, I could have been a better grandfather. I've been a good parent. Uh, it, it's hard to answer. I don't know about that, by the way, Larry. I'm only taking the privilege of interrupting you because you know we have a friendship. But I got to say that in talking to the boys, you, you have been a great dad. And I'll tell you why. Because they so badly want to carry your legacy forward. You should know that. You should know that what inspires them to be the leaders that they are and to champion the cause that they represent, meaning you know your new podcast and other really great bodies of work like The Millionth Question, is not just because they love you, but because they're inspired by you. And that came from somewhere. You should know that. I, but they also see all my faults since they're around me all the time. So they know that I can be, the older I get, I tell you, Richard, I get a little cantankerous. And maybe that'll happen to you. Maybe it's, it goes along with being old. 
But when things aren't, if the coffee isn't ready, why isn't the coffee ready? I say, I'm a little cantankerous, and I don't know that that's a good thing for them to follow, but they do live with it. They do. And, and for those who don't know, uh, you know, all of Larry's kids are incredible, but the two boys I keep referencing, uh, you know, the, these guys are athletes. I mean, they, they could have played for anybody. They're, they're, as, they're as handsome as hell, uh, got all their great looks from their mothers, of course, um, but they really are true leaders in their respective ways. And um, it's just pretty, it's just really commendable. So I'm very proud of them. Very, very proud of them. I know you are, my friend. Hey, so listen, Larry, I, I know the answer to this question only because you told me, but, but a lot of people are asking um, if you can interview anybody right now, anybody at all, who, who would you love to interview if you could? I don't know. What did I tell you last time? I forget when, because it changes. I, I know because, of course, everything changes. But the, the, the answer to that question you gave me was you said that O.J. Simpson would be quite fascinating. Yeah, I interviewed him a few times, knew O.J. well. He would certainly be high on my interest. How, what's O.J.? In other words, forget the crime. What is life like for you? What, what do you, where do you, you golf every day? How do people look at you? How do you feel about yourself? Yeah, O.J. is good. At, I, I didn't think of it now. That would be a good... good. And politically, I'd like to view... Uh, uh, Miss Merkel of Germany, she's the, probably the strongest leader in the world right now. I would say she is the strongest leader in the world right now. And then uh, let's see who else. Who else? You know, OJ would be way up. I guess if I were looking at ratings, OJ would top the ratings. If I said we're having OJ on tomorrow, more people would tune in to see what it's like to talk to OJ. And, uh, you know, he called into my show the night after that verdict. I, I, I was interviewing his lawyer, and he called in during the show. I've, I've, I tell you, Richard, I've led an incredible life. I mean, I've traveled into the minds of so many people in so many subjects of so many areas, and that I still have that curiosity. My number one thing about me, if I listen to one thing, is curiosity. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny because what, what some of the comments, you likely aren't reading them because, of course, you're just simply being present to me, and for that I'm grateful. But a lot of people say that, you know, given the stage and the state that Larry's in, I bet he can get OJ to confess. I, I bet, in fact, Larry can get a lot of people to start speaking the truth about where where is Kaffa. I mean, what real, where the heck did this COVID really come from? I mean, you could probably get the truth out of the world. What would you say to that? I think about things that no one thinks about, or a will example. Put this in your book, audience. COVID-19, we have been hearing about it. Tragically, some have died from it. Many of our fellow citizens have caught it around the world. COVID-19. I have a simple question that leads to an next question. What is the vaccination? No one's asked that. What is a vaccination? How do they make it? Why does it take a long time to make it? What does it do? Does it deal with your own, do you, are you injecting yourself with your own disease? 
Why does it go into the skin and not the vein? I've never seen this answer. I, I know vaccine, I've been close about vaccine, I've had vaccine, but what, what, what is a vaccination? I haven't seen that ass. That, that amazes me. We're all talking about it. What, what is it? You know what it is? I have no idea. I mean, I look at you and I'm still mesmerized by the fact you still have a full head of hair, to be quite honest, at 86 and a half years of age. But, but I mean, what you're seeing lighting up in the chat room here, and it's interesting, what's, what's evolving here, Larry, you can't see it, so I'll share it with you. Is, is people right now, I sense, this is my interpretation of what I'm seeing, is that the world feels like they're being misled. Mistruths, half-truths, you, you call it out in your politicking show that you've been airing uh, and, and featured on since 2019, but, but, but people are feeling like someone's got to call people out on getting to the bottom of things. Some people yeah. here are calling you the truth finder, the truth seeker, uh, the confession creator, I mean, there, these are some of the terms to describe Larry because it sounds like the world really trusts you, Larry. They lean on you. Um, what would you say to that, given that's the sentiment that you're hearing around the world right now? Trust is a big thing. And the, unfortunately, with politicians, we don't trust them. If you can't trust your politician, you lose all. After Trump admits that he knew it was a dangerous virus, but he didn't want to tell us. Why should I trust him about anything? Why should that's the truth? When I look back at great leaders, what they inspiration was, Trump quoted the other day, Franklin Roosevelt saying, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Wait a minute. Of course that's true. But then what do you do about the fear? You go into action. You take action. Winston Churchill never lied to the British people about how they had to walk down into the train stations every day because it was being bombed. So I think trust is an invaluable thing to have. I don't know. I don't know what I've done to get it. I don't. I, I. I know you earn it. It's not given to you. But the the sad thing is, most of our trust is not in in our politicians. But as a broad story to speak on top of you, Larry, I hope I'm not because the signal is kind of disconnected. So I apologize if I'm speaking on top of you. But but you always had people's trust. That's why you got most of, if not all of the most iconic and legendary figures on the planet to come and sit with you and be interviewed by you, enter their homes, right? Uh, even lock lips uh, from time to time. I mean, you, you were trusted. Was there anything in particular that you were conscious of to forge such a bond so quickly with people? No. I hate to answer you in one word, no. You know what it is? I was always me. What you see is what you get. What I am on the air is the same I am that I am off the air. I'm me. I can't make you like me. I can't force you to like me. So I'm just, you know what? Just be me. If the audience accepts you, they accept you. I can't make them accept you. I can't strangle them and say, watch me. If you like it, if you learn from it, if you're getting from it, fine. But all I'm doing, Richard, all I'm doing is being me. The secret of my success is there's no secret. Be yourself. And that's an advice I would give to young people in any profession they choose. Be yourself. If it doesn't count, if it, people don't like you, they don't like you. You can't make them like you. You can't make them trust you. Just be yourself. Let the chips fall. That's a great statement. May the chips fall where they may. 
well, you know what? And it truly embodies the, the globally wide accepted view of you, Larry, which is that you really are the poster child for what it means to learn for yourself. There's one of the things that a lot of people have really come to appreciate about the time you spend on the screen is the fact that you've really taught people to ask questions and not make assumptions. And, and, and we thank you for that because what's been lost is the art of asking questions, to sitting in a seat of inquiry and to constantly lean in and ask more rather than stepping back and assuming all that's less. So um, with that, hey, Larry, are you open to a couple of questions? These are, these are trusted friends of mine. These are about 100 people on here. Um, if you're open to a question or two, you're good? Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. So Ken Jocelyn is uh, one of my dear friends, and he's uh, he represents the cause, and he's always a real great champion for wonderful things, but he's a big fan, and he'd like to uh, say hello. So uh, Ken Jocelyn, you're live. Larry, how you doing, my friend? How are you, Ken? Hey, I am honored, number one. You said that you talked about you at six years of age. Um, you wanted to be a radio announcer. So my background, my father, was the voice of the, the Lone Ranger. I'm on the radio for all the Chrysler commercials. There were three or four different voices. Back, yeah, so so my dad was friends with Brace Beamer, who was the radio Lone Ranger, as well as Clayton Moore, who was the TV Lone Ranger. Dad did all the Chrysler commercials back in the late 60s and early 70s. He did Corinthian leather. That's what Chrysler had on his car. Yes, 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 sir, he sure did. And so one of my most prized possessions is a uh, is a Detroit newspaper from se- the early seventies when my dad Brace Beamer, um, Clayton Moore, and Jay Silverheels doing the last final ride of the Lone Ranger in the WJR studios. So it's an honor for me to be able to talk to you because of your of your radio history. So my question to you would be: What was your favorite radio old time radio show growing up as a as a young man? The Lone Ranger was one of them. I don't say that because you're on the phone. Who was that masked man? That was the Lone Ranger. Hello, Silver. Away. Oh, hello, big fellow. He used to call his horse Big Fellow. Oh, big fellow. I love the Lone Ranger. I love Burns and Allen. I love remember I was a radio freak, so I love daytime radio. I loved uh, I love soap operas. I ate it all up because I try to imagine what they looked like. You know, were they standing, were they sitting? What was it like? And then when I got invited to radio shows and I saw some radio shows where they'd stand around so your father did this, stand around with the other actors, hold papers up, read them, drop them deep. You gotta drop them lightly because you gotta have a carpeted floor. And then put up you know what radio fascinated about radio is the sound. Radio is the theater of the mind. When you listen to old shows like Suspense, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. There was a famous Edgar Allan Poe story called The Beating Heart. Peter Lorre did this on the radio for Suspense. A man kills his wife and buries her in the walls of his house. Perfect murder, except starts hearing the beat from the wall. Boom, 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 and slowly goes crazy. Now I'm listening at home. Boom, 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 boom. Now, that's a hundred times better than sitting in that living room. Just hearing that sound. So I'm fascinated by sound. And your father, by the way, 
had one of radio's best voices. A, a better voice than the Lone Ranger on television. Thank you, my friend. Thank Ken. you. Happy to talk to you. Ken Jocelyn, good to hear your voice. Thank you so much, Larry. Uh, we've got another one here from uh, Mike Sirocco, known as Mike Searock. What's up there, Mike Searock? You've got uh, Larry King here live. Hello, Mr. King. Thank you, Richie. Hello, Mr. King. Hello, Mike. Uh, I had so much I could ask you, but I, I think I'll stick with, uh, when was it that you finally thought in your mind that I made it? Good question. Uh, it was uh, the, the night the radio show went national. Uh, it was the first national talk show, Mutual Network. They signed up. So I've always been successful locally, but now I'm about to go on the air all over the country. And boy, and my first guest was Jackie Gleason. And my second guest was Don Schuler. And I remember that night sitting there and seeing people calling in from all over the country. Phones lit up. Wow. Wow. I never forgot that night. So that was the night I said, boy, I made it. Thank you. That's awesome. You got it. You got it, Sirocco. Thank you, Larry. Hey, we got one more here from uh, Noam Schalter. He's in from Israel. Tel Aviv, Israel in the house. Good uh, good evening, Noam. You've got Larry King here live. Hi, good evening. Hello. Thank you, Rich. Thank Hello. you, Rich, and thank you, Larry, for joining us. Uh, I used to do radio a few years ago, and I really love your show as a kid. I used to watch it. That uh, more or less tells my age when I was a kid. So I really love your style and your uh, interviewing style. I have one question with two parts. What was the hardest question you've ever asked? And what was the hardest answer you've ever got? Well, you know, the hardest question, and in, 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 it brings up your country. My, one of my favorite places on earth is Israel. But there was one night I had the honor of having on at the same time the president of the United Arab Republics, the, the, the vice, the, the prime minister of Israel, the head of uh, Egypt, and the head of the Arab delegates together. I was doing diplomacy. I had these three giants of the Middle East. And the hardest question that was, why can't you ever get together? You're all Semitic. You're all from the same blood. Why? Why do you fight? You fight over land? What is land worth? What is a piece of land worth? You get me all excited because it still excites me. And one of my all-time all favorite, all-time favorite people was Yitzhak Rabin. The Prime Minister of Israel, I went on a camp. He was campaigning. I went with him one day, watched him campaign. He was a beautiful soul. He went from being a warrior to being a peacemaker. He changed his philosophies. He was honest as the day is long. He had a great wife. There's a beautiful museum of his in, in Jerusalem. Uh, I think when I go, if I ever go, I'd like to be buried among your people. Thank you. Take me back to the Israelites. Hoping to see you here soon. Good. I'm going to cost the family money shipping the body. 
Thank, Thank you so much, Larry. You're being so generous with your time. I really appreciate you. You know, a lot of people are asking the same question. Let me just ask this out loud as I tee up the next one. Uh, what would you find is the most common personality trait? The one thing that most of these great people that you admire, that you enjoyed seeing, I mean, even folks that have gone on to endorse you, and I've met a lot of legends, uh, one of which who says to say hello, and that's President William Jefferson Clinton. He knew we were doing this today, so he sends his kind regards, also extends his condolences. Um, but I mean, of all those folks, um, what would you say, given the years sitting across from an interview table, what would you say are the top commonalities of great people from your perspective? One trait runs through every great person, whether it's a great actor, great salesman, great teacher, great, great politician, is they're inertly ambitious. They, they, they don't have to have a wide open personality. They could be even laid back. But inward is a drive. The drive to, Ted Turner is a classic example of this. The drive to make it, to the continuous drive. And they get up every day. What can they do today to make this a better day for them and their world? They had indomitable spirit. <laughs> That's right. And, 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 now, and now you get to see how you became such an indomitable spirit. It almost feels like by osmosis, you adopted a lot of the company you kept. Would you agree? Yes, Rich. I have another thing I have to do. Could we make another date and do more of this? I love talking to you, and I love talking to people from all over around the world. You got it. See them too. So if we could arrange it with my son Chance, I want to do more with you. You're a fascinating person. And I, I really enjoy I enjoy the comfort of you. Well, I appreciate that, Larry. You know, coming from you, I feel like I just want to cuddle up and just, you know, call it a night. So <laughs> um, Larry, I love you. You should always know, and I'll say this in the witness of a hundred people around the world, that you've inspired me to do what I do. And it's a profound honor in your legacy as you live and lead still that uh, I'm just in, in your dear service because I truly am inspired by the person you've uh, been and the person you remain. So, uh, Larry, with my deepest great gratitude, thank you so much for doing this with me. God bless, Richard. Thank you. I love you, buddy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Larry King live. So, folks, I appreciate you. I got you. Go be great because anything less is just going to bankrupt you. So folks, thanks so much for joining me. This has been Richard Dolan on behalf of Grant Cardone and all things 10X. Until next week, don't just remain courageous in a conversation, remain courageous in life. Thanks for tuning into Courageous Conversations with Richard Dolan. We're on all the major podcast platforms and we appreciate your support by reviewing us. You can follow our show at The Rich World on many social media channels. We hope that listeners like yourself enjoyed this episode and remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or whatever other streaming services are available because we cannot wait to bring you more valuable content that can make a difference in your life.